At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to a Sunday night edition of the Dunked On NBA Basketball Podcast. NBA and basketball are in the name for search engine optimization and something else that will optimize for you is we are having an unprecedented event in the history of Dunked On Prime. For those of you listening on the free feed, potential new subscribers, we are offering a free month at the start of your membership no commitments. Just sign up right now. You're going to get the full mock trade deadline. And we want to show you everything that Dunked on Prime is about. Seth Partnow is writing every Hollinger and Duncan episode, five episodes a week of Danny and me. Our Discord, which is an awesome NBA place to discuss basketball. Chats from Mr. Partnow, Mr. LaRue, Mr. Feldman, and me in your email box every day. The daily dunks from Dan Feldman reacting to the key news of the day and telling you things like the Detroit Pistons are 6-60 and in their last 66 games, the worst that we've ever seen over that stretch. Try it out for free. No commitments. Sign up. Get your first month free right now in honor of our mock trade deadline. The other thing we have to honor was a great basketball game that took place on Friday night. The Denver Nuggets at the Boston Celtics. I would say certainly the two NBA Finals favorites. Denver takes it 102-100. Danny, what were your main takeaways from a high-level NBA basketball game? It was super fun. I mean, the it had a lot of ebbs and flows, and the impact of Kristaps Porzingis was really present early. I mean, Porzingis was making almost all of Boston's points. He was giving Jokic some real trouble. Jokic figured him out some later, and... I but that so that's one was was Porzingis's impact in the series. The other one, which came more to the forefront late in the game, but it was present throughout. Which was I, I just wrote it as a question, which is which of the players in this series, if it happens, offensive limitations would loom largest in a potential NBA Finals? Huh, that's interesting. So who did you come up with and answer that question? I mean, a lot of guys had some trouble in in this contest in particular. I thought that um, the way that the Celtics defended Peyton Watson. I thought was really fascinating where because the Celtics are better to me than any other team in the league at having the ball find someone in particular. And so Watson was four of 11 from the field. He missed a bunch of open threes. So Watson, but he's a he's a not a closer. He's a, you know, a, a, a valued reserve, but a reserve. It might be Drew Holiday. Holidays just just because part of the story with this and I thought was so fascinating and I knew this was going to be something that you'd want to discuss is that both of these teams, in credit to their team building and their coaching, play solid defenders in their starting and closing lineups 
So that means that you don't have as many obvious places to attack. And it also means that, you know, like Aaron Gordon and Drew Holiday and those kinds of players just don't have as many advantages as they do against the average team. Yeah, that's an interesting point uh, with the uh, Murray being the worst perimeter defender on the Nuggets. Although they did take advantage some of Michael Porter Jr., who mm-hmm. I thought uh, had it was a regressive game for him uh, on defense uh, in a couple of isolation matchups. Like teams have largely gone away from attacking him. Jason Tatum had what limited success he had in the fourth quarter at Porter Jr.'s expense. You know, it's funny that you mentioned the idea of making the ball find people who aren't that good. And yeah, like Peyton Watson, one of six from three, four of 11 overall. Aaron Gordon was 0 for six. So those those guys like combined four of 17. Gordon was 0 of three from three. Well, and, and like, yeah. and KCP barely touched the ball, it felt like in the yeah. front court in the most of the game. Yeah, and that was interesting too, right? That's where you saw some of the things like where usually, you know, it's like if they're playing the Warriors, it's Steph Curry or, you know, they're going to hide Luka Doncic or something on KCP. And then, you know, four or five times a game, they'll run KCP out of the corner, have Nikola Jokic hand off to him, and he'll get a wide open 15-footer while he's being guarded by, you know, Derek White or Drew Holiday or something like that. And so that just wasn't really available. When they tried to run that action, it usually ended up being contested for KCP. So yeah, some of the support players for Denver did not find easy going, but then Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray were unbelievable. Jokic was 14 of 22, Murray was 15 of 21, and rest of team was absolutely atrocious the nuggets couldn't hit a three outside of those guys only three three pointers by any nugget not named Jokic or murray in the entire game and you might argue like ah well you know they they really should have like forced the ball out of Jokic and murray's hands more and they tried to do that a little bit like when Cornette was in uh murray got off the ball and found gordon who set up a corner three for kcp the one three that kcp did hit but then you look up and like hey they held the nuggets to 100 two points and yeah those the nuggets were eight at 31 they usually shoot it better than they did but then you say hey aaron gordon and peyton watson took nine of their 31 three-point attempts that's pretty good that's part of why they shot eight out of 31 they only got to the foul line 13 times denver's never been a huge free throw attempt team uh, unless aaron gordon is really like bludgeoning inside which he doesn't have the size to do so it really was by no means a defensive loss for the celtics as much as you might say hey Jokic and murray were unbelievable they had 20 of the Nuggets' 42 field goals. You should have double teamed them even more. Free throws. Yeah, yeah, like you should have shown them more bodies. And generally, the Celtics, going back to Brad Stevens, they've kind of been like, hey, we're going to cut off the support players. We're going to make you beat our good defenders one-on-one. And those guys were largely able to do that. But again, offensive loss for the Boston Celtics. 100%. And that ties in, I, I don't want to get all the way into the fourth quarter right now, but ties in with one of my other takeaways. And that's, so to start this off, it's hilarious. The Celtics have been a great clutch team with a strong clutch offense overall in the year. Plus 18.7 clutch net rating, 13 and 8, um, fifth in clutch offensive rating so far this year. However, it seems like, I don't know whether this is actually true. It seems like against the best teams in the biggest moments, things go badly. And this one went really haywire. In the final 450 of this game, 
Boston, one of nine from the field, including one of five from Tatum, 0 for two from the line. So two total points. And they only gave up seven. They gave up seven points in the final 450 yeah. of this game and blew their lead. Yeah, the Celtics scored 39 points in the second half, 18 in the fourth quarter after a, a really high-level offense, uh, offensive first half. And part of that was that the threes dried up, uh, which can happen for them. They were 32%. Uh, but I thought really the biggest thing that stood out, in addition to some of Jason Tatum's flubs, he had a couple of bad missed layups. Down the end, he isolated at the free throw line, like pretty good look, just like inside pivot and just like shot it like a ball and a half to the left. Like what would be a good shot? He rushed that last shot that could have tied the game off the inbound. So, I, you know, I thought he just and it wasn't even I thought necessarily that he didn't generate good shots. He just blew them, uh, honestly, uh, and ended up uh, one of eight from three. He and Jalen Brown were a combined two of 17 from downtown. So that's one thing that stood out to me. The other that stood out to me is the Celtics just not making quick enough decisions that yes, they were getting thank you. some some advantages. Well, hey, yeah, why don't you uh, elaborate on that point then? Did well, anyone so stand out in particular? There were, there were a couple. I mean, so in terms of generating them, I thought that there were a couple times where like where Derek White was a little bit slow on like the read, like they re maybe they responded and it was like a dribble or a pass. Um, Drew Holiday didn't create as many advantages. So it's there. And then like Jalen Brown, one of his many challenges in this game was responding to the attention when he got it. Yeah. I thought between Tatum, Porzingis and Brown, there were just so many times when it would seem like, all right, we got the defense in rotation. We're moving the ball around. They're scrambling to catch up to us. It would get to Brown. And I mean, maybe part of this was because he was one of nine from three, but he either wouldn't just immediately take the catch and shoot three, nor would he immediately drive. He would just catch the ball with a slight advantage hold it and then the defense would get back into position and the nuggets are an exceedingly well-coached defensive team and they know all of each other's strengths and weaknesses and so once you get caught going up against a set group again they're able to get their guys back into position they know their help responsibilities and you've lost the advantage i thought there are just so many times in the second half in particular when the ball would get to jalen brown on the wing or in the corner and he just would like he just couldn't process it fast enough he couldn't and like sometimes it's like I don't even care what decision you make as long as you make one fast. Because right? like, then, then you perpetuate yeah. the advantage. If you don't make yeah. a decision, then you lose, you seed it. Yeah. Even if you don't make the absolute perfect decision on whether to shoot or drive it against the closeout, the fact that you do it fast means you're probably going to at least get somewhat of an open shot. I mean, all right, it's one thing if like, you know, someone's going to come and block your three or something, but you still got the defense in rotation. You still feel good about the shot that you're getting if it comes off a movement like that, or you're able to drive and you're still going to get more penetration and maybe make the, the next play there's another one, Porzingis, I thought, particularly, the other thing that was a little vexing, I thought Porzingis' best moment, as it was with Holiday on occasion, as it was with Brown, was when they got a mismatch, oftentimes against Jamal Murray, was ducking in, and when they got caught the ball two feet in the paint, then they were able to go up immediately, and it looked really good. Whereas, late in the game, that wasn't necessarily the case. Like, Holiday had one nice post up on the left block, but, you know, there was one where Porzingis catches the ball at the elbow, and I think it was Murray who was on him at that point, but, like, Murray played really good defense. Like, when Porzingis tried to turn and face, he really, like, got into his airspace, so he couldn't shoot, even though Porzingis has a checks notes 10 inch height advantage <laughs> jamal murray uh and but he couldn't sh i mean when someone just gets right into your airspace like it's really tough to shoot over him for 
Porzingis isn't a guy who like creates separation. Like he kind of he's gotten so much better at his post ups, but he still like has to kind of work his way in a position. So that's why those those quick duckins worked much better. And so well, and, and the and Boston offense, yeah. To that front, Kristaps Porzingis was awesome early. He had the Celtics yeah. first eleven points and fifteen of their first twenty. And you look at the overall line, you know, twenty one point six of one from the field. That's great. And the first quarter points count just as much as the fourth. But he scored six points in total after the first like seven minutes of the game. Now it should be noted, Michael Malone went for this one after they lost it in Oof. Philly earlier. Like he went to the real lineups, not fucking around with Zeke Naji, not fucking around with DeAndre Jordan. And as was the case in last year's playoffs, when they get rid of a center, so it was Watson. Now as it was Jeff Green last year, Watson and Gordon together. He went forty-two minutes of Aaron Gordon, who despite uh, failing to get a field goal and only having two points uh, was still plus one for the game. Reggie Jackson is plus 10. Their bench units really at the start of the second and the start of the fourth won then the game uh, because, and even then they went with 38 minutes for Jokic, Murray and Caldwell Pope, 37, like all, each starter played 37 or more minutes. And for Boston, all but Holiday uh, played 36 or more minutes. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? Like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress. Where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on, but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed? And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than thirty seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house. Get that 100-night trial. They're 10 to 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice 
heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout please remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us i guess the next thing oh, we wait, wait i have something is, on yeah. that i have something on that front. okay so i earlier in the week i praised joe missoula for having this idea where basically he was really separating out his more limited bench players so there was never really a point where they were leaning heavily on Cornette, pritchard and hauser at the same time they were separating them and, you know so like tatum was on the floor or brown was on the floor or something like that porzingis in some of those circumstances he went to a very different approach in general we don't see teams do different sub patterns and it was all tailored around Jokic. i don't know if you caught this but so when Jokic yeah. was on the floor it was basically all starters in horford the entire entire time and there were a lot of Porzingis plus Horford minutes then whenever Jokic was off the floor Hauser Cornette Pritchard were all out there together and so the idea behind that was basically like okay the Denver is a lot easier to handle right now let's we need to give these guys some minutes you know we need to play or give our guys some rest and there's merit to that because Jokic will crush those guys but there's also a downside in that you're conceding more of an advantage in those minutes than you would have had otherwise. I'm not saying Missoula made the wrong choice. I'm just saying he made a significant choice. Well, and with Murray going crazy, that really helped them stay afloat when Jokic was out of the game. And yeah, I don't think that Missoula knew that Aaron Gordon was going to play 42 minutes in this regular season game. Uh, but I I appreciate, and I think you do you need to do this particularly for a group like Denver, which has never been like that motivated in the regular season anyway. And now particularly that they've won a championship. Championship. I, I think Michael Malone kind of getting to his team and being like, hey, this is a big game. We're going to treat it like a big game. We're going to play hard. These guys are 20 and 0 at home. Let's end their home winning streak to start the season, which they did. Uh, that's, uh, I, I appreciate that approach to, and obviously you can't do that all the time, but I think to Michael Malone, he'll, he likes to get his team's attention sometimes. I thought he did a really nice job of that. And so for Missoula, yeah, it's like the, the whole conception of Denver changes when you don't have just one of those bad centers out there and you ramp up the minutes for all the starters by three or four more than you normally would during the, a blah regular season game. Something else that struck me during the game was that especially early on, Jokic seemed a lot more comfortable posting up Horford than Porzingis. And it may be that's a more familiar matchup. It may be something else. and Or maybe it was like Porzingis is kind of skinnier and lankier, and that can be a little bit different. It did shift towards the end, but that just that idea of Jokic being more comfortable against the guy that you would think he's 
traditionally would give him more problems, the guy who has a little bit more half. You know, if these teams played in a series, that's something I would watch very closely. Yeah, and I, like Porzingis' length, like that is something that can slightly bother Jokic if you can kind of make him think like, oh, hey, you might get your hand on my little like hook shot or floater or something. Now, Jokic, like he he's not having as good of a statistical season overall as he did last year, but he has actually added skills to his game. Like his right shoulder game, finishing at the basket, he's much better with the left hand than he was last year. And also like turning right shoulder in the post. I think that like that was the one thing where I was like, ah, you know, this guy's at least mortal if you make him go right shoulder as a scorer. And now he's all not quite as lethal because it's still the foundation is like the left shoulder. And then, you know, he's just so good with that floater hook shot there. But he hit one in the fourth quarter where he gets into the post uh, on Horford. They bring the double team. It's late clock. He turns right shoulder. Like he has the Sambor shuffle where he goes off his right foot going right, but he goes more towards like the conventional jerk fade going right shoulder off his left foot off the glass. And, and just drains it like he was so good in this game and that's the biggest thing that you can take away is just like the Celtics didn't have anyone who is as good as Jamal Murray in this game not to mention Jokic and they're able to carry some limited performances uh, from everyone else and you know particularly if Jalen Brown is not going well and if Jason Tatum is not going well like it, it just it, it gets a little bit harder uh, for the Celtics even with the incredible uh talent that they have up and down the roster what did you make of of the whole Horford and Porzingis together like how did that work they kind of minimized Holiday's minutes uh, a little bit Holiday did close he didn't close the first half I believe but he did close yeah he the second he, half. he wasn't out there until very late if memory serves but he was out there very yeah. late um and it I think that there's a the sound logic to it especially on the idea of having a second player who is credible in that matchup on on the floor and Denver doesn't have players that are going to make mincemeat out of whichever one of Porzingis or Horford is not on Jokic. So I, I think it's a it's a worthy strategy to at least consider. And it, it does take, you know, a little bit something out of both those guys. Like you don't usually see 36 minutes for Porzingis and 27 from Horford in the same game. Maybe we will in the postseason. So I, I was on board with it. I didn't think that they lost much offensively replacing Drew with let's call it Drew with Horford. Yeah, Drew is a better shooter than Horford, and I still think that his isolation game is a little bit underrated or, or underused, I should say, in Boston. Uh, but, you know, maybe the Nuggets, you know, they don't have like that little point guard who's going to guard him necessarily. Like they put Jokic on him some. You know, they went with Aaron Gordon guarding Kristaps Porzingis a fair amount of the time. They didn't want Jokic on Porzingis because of Porzingis's pick and pop game. Horford did give them somewhere to hide Jokic a little bit, and he's not quite the same pick and pop threat that he was not the same drive threat so that makes it easier for them but of course having Porzingis be able to be on the back line that keeps Aaron Gordon from going off I think you know a lot of people think oh well you know it's a lot of it is just you have another guy who can help on Jokic but it's really also about just not getting ducked in mm -hmm. by Aaron Gordon as well or like not having him kill you for offensive rebounds although he did get an important one down the end when I think he did beat Porzingis so I mean it's I thought that Jokic had one of the better one-on-one -on -one scoring games against Al Horford that I've seen anybody have mm -hmm. um you know because he's not necessarily trying to overpower Horford he can kind of get to a spot and Horford doesn't have the length to bother his shot necessarily and Jokic is big enough that he can at least 
like any good enough ball handler that he can kind of get to a spot against Horford, whereas Embiid doesn't handle it as well. Like he doesn't have that sort of patient game that Jokic has. You can surprise him with double teams. Let's see what else I had. Uh, oh, I have a couple. I have a couple yeah. quick things. Yeah, yeah. Boston only had two turnovers in this game, both of which I believe occurred in the first quarter. Denver doesn't force a ton, but that was a little bit surprising. Nikola uh, Jokic did something that I, I thought of it more in like a hiking or skiing context where mm-hmm. he would wait until Al Horford was all the way recovered or close and then would start his move. Like, let's say on a pick and pop leading to a drive or something like that. And it's like if you're the slow person on a hike and they like the faster people stop and wait for you. But the second you get there, they start moving again. It's like, I want to stop. Like, I want to break. And so I, I loved how hard Jokic was making Horford work during some of those minutes. I have one more, but I'll save that. Yeah, let's see. What else did I? Yeah, some of the strategic elements. Yeah, of hiding Jokic on Holiday, and Holiday's been a relative afterthought for the Celtics offensively this year. Maybe even he's overqualified right now. And so, do you give Holiday the ball against Jokic? Like, is that what you want to do? I maybe. I think what I would have maybe tried to do is just have Holiday initiate the offense more potentially, not like have him be a passer, and then if they want to double, then Holiday could be a spot up shooter. Like, just try to bring him above the break a little bit more but Derek White does more of that now and so then where is Porzingis gonna stand like it, it holiday's kind of been out of the way so you have to change up the geometry of your offense if you really want to try to exploit Jokic guarding him I I was disappointed I thought that the five out spacing by the Celtics could be better utilized but ultimately be and I think they were able to create some advantages in the second half that they just again weren't quite able to keep the churn going and it became a little bit too stagnant after the initial advantage was gained most often through an isolation on like a Murray or something like that and then is even if you have five out spacing a you you still hope that you have like a better number one than Jason Tatum I mean not a lot of teams do but if you're talking about a championship team he's probably underqualified there and then also just the quick decision making to continue to widen those gaps uh Derek White is so important for this team because he is the guy who makes them run like nobody else really Mm -hmm. gives them that uh unless it's Jason Tatum driving through four guys uh with you know under 10 seconds to go (laughs) um at the end of the game and but you know whether it's his hit aheads pushing the ball uh it makes some plays defensively to help them get out and transition i will give the celtics credit for not turning the ball over at all that's part of how even though they didn't shoot it well they're able to stay in this one and another really interesting strategic battleground particularly when Porzingis was on Jokic because that's and then you had the four smalls around him was when Murray and Jokic would try to run kind of an open side pick and roll a lot of what they were trying to do was bring a guy over from the weak side to take Jokic if he popped and then you could still have Porzingis help on Murray I thought actually if that was the scheme that Porzingis probably should have been more aggressive on Murray to force him to give the ball up because then you have the other yeah that makes sense yeah like i mean i think what you want to do is put two guys on murray pressure him you're you're forcing him towards the baseline you pressure him bring that third guy over to take Jokic and force him to make a pass to the weak side over porzingis's 7-3 size uh, obviously easier said than done this 
two main game is carve things up. There's also this, I don't know if you, you've talked about, you talked about the metronome last year. So I'm guessing you're going to agree with me of just the fear that the opposition must have going up against the Nuggets to just that they can always do something to you. They could, Murray can hit an incredible shot. Jokic can hit an incredible shot. You just feel like if they're not scoring well, they're about to be like, it feels like the Nuggets are kind of the heirs to the best versions of the Warriors in that respect where they just, you know what they do. You know that you can't stop it. You know their players are just so good. And even if you have as much talent as the Celtics have put together, you're just like, it just feels like such an exhalation if you actually get a stop against them because it, it feels like almost a fluke that you stopped I, I, them. I had a stat on that. So yeah. Boston had a 214 offensive rating in transition per cleaning the glass, but they were only able to run on 8% of their possession. Hmm. And so that's that's the metronome. So so Boston, ridiculous, like a plus 8.3 points plus per 100 possessions in transition, but they still, you know, high half-court frequency, all that type of stuff. And, and so I had a note in mind, which is, does the metronome create a problem for the Celtics since it reduces their transition? Just because when you face Denver, a smaller proportion of your possessions are going to be in transition because you're taking the ball at the basket. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. Things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Um, can I give a couple more quick things? Oh, for sure. Um, this is a question that we don't need to answer right now, but is there an active player with a larger margin between what they think is a good shot for them and what is actually a good shot for them than Peyton Watson? Like there were a couple of the shots where it's like, yeah, you had to do it. But then there were other ones where it's like, like a pull up mid range. And you're like, no, no, no Peyton Watson. I, I no. mean, he made a couple of those. Yeah, but they're not good shots. Like, And so Watson, I, I looked it up. And so 
he great that his dunks are up. His dunks are up this year, 32, 32 on the year, 16% of his attempts. That's fantastic. Like I'd love for that to actually be a little bit higher for him. Um, more than a quarter of his shots are twos away from the basket, and he doesn't really make that many of those. His floater's been okay this year. Um, and then, you know, depending on how you feel about the three, like it's actually gone in at a decent rate, but I, I still don't personally trust it. So that's one. And then what I think was the, the most important sequence of the game was – Jalen Brown beats MPJ on what I described in my notes as a slow ISO and drew two free throws. Jalen Brown misses both of those free throws, but the Celtics get the offensive rebound. Jalen Brown misses a three. Celtics get another offensive rebound. Derek White misses a corner three. So Denver was up 101-98 going into that. This is during the stretch where the Celtics only scored two points. They had two free throws, one wide open three, one moderately open three, and get zero points. Yeah, that was tough. Uh, and yeah, it, and it's just, it's hard to say, ah, well, the Celtics missed shots. Like, well, they actually shot better from three than Denver did. And, you know, it, a lot of it comes back to Jason Tatum. And I, I thought early they were getting good stuff out of having him run pick and roll at Jokic. A lot of what they were doing, the Nuggets, was switching Jokic and then going for the double team when Tatum went into his move, hoping that time would kind of run out on the Celtics, that maybe they just wouldn't move the ball that much. But they were, I thought in the first half, they were getting pretty good stuff out of that. And I think for Boston, they just, they're going to have to get really, really intentional, especially against a team that only has one or two guys that you're going to go after, like Denver, of attacking that matchup early, everyone on the court knowing that that's what they want to get to. And yeah, if you're going to do like a switch double, you got to make sure that Jokic is getting out on, on Tatum early, that he starts his move early, that then he can get two on the ball, the three point line, get off the ball uh, and slice it up. And sometimes they did well on that more so in the first half less so in the second the end of the game Tatum gets a rebound pushes it up I joked about how it was one on four well it was one on four because the rest of the Celtics didn't run at all with Jason Tatum down two or sorry that was down one I believe at that point yeah because Gordon it was 101 100 the free throw was after that yeah so and hey maybe a Celtic could have gotten an offensive rebound maybe a Celtic could have given him someone to pass to maybe a Celtic could have sprinted to the corner so that it was one on two instead of one on four and like Tatum actually ended up getting a pretty good shot in the end like you absolutely I completely applaud being aggressive in transition in that situation trying to beat the defense on the floor everyone else just like had their hands in their pockets and didn't run with them. It was very frustrating. It was. I was a little bit more critical of the shot that that Tatum got up there. And I also was critical of the little hissy fit that he threw after it didn't go in. But that's, you know, it happens. And um, and then the yeah. Tatum, he, he just didn't on that last shot. I, I described it as a Kobe fadeaway. They did over KCP, but he just didn't quite have his legs under him. Tatum said after the game that he rushed it a little bit. I agree with him yeah. that that it, that does appear to be what happened. And so that fell out. That would have given them a chance to tie the game. And Boston on the first inbound. So they have, you know, the last possession to tie or take the lead. And they they got it in. But Missoula, I like, called the timeout right then. And they just didn't really feel comfortable with what they're doing. And then, yeah, I Jokic, thought he did a good job of using his timeouts, actually. Sure. Because same. They, but they, it, it was just awkward. But it was yeah. it was fun. It was a totally, totally reasonable. I, use. I mean, they, they had one timeout left. They inbounded it. It ended up with like Drew 
like kind of getting reached in on by Jokic with about five seconds left. But at that point, you they just if you don't have anything that's looking like it could be something by five seconds, yeah, call the timeout and reset. I thought he did well there. They ended up getting a better shot than they were kind of on pace to get. They threw a, a really nice entry pass to Tatum. He had a great catch. I think part of his problem, though, was he was a little off balance making that catch because he had to really stretch to get it. And then he never quite got his legs back under him either. So any takeaways ultimately on like if these two teams play one another in the finals, like would this change your conception of who would win it? Not really. It did give me a clear indication of how important it is that both these teams are healthy because once you get I mean, that's beyond- what was so awesome about this game, like mm-hmm. all these teams had everyone healthy. I mean, how often does that happen in the regular season? Yeah. So, th- so that, but no, but no, not really anything for you. I mean, it was, it seemed like things were more set up in Boston's favor. And it's just, it's tough when the two best shot makers are on the other team. Mm-hmm. And the way that Boston, I mean, I think Boston made it as hard on the Nuggets as you possibly can in this one. They have really good defensive players. I don't think you can defend ben Denver much better than they did, but they still lost because ultimately they weren't like they weren't able to make Denver's defense look bad. And unless you can make Denver's defense look bad, you're not going to win. And I thought, all right, maybe with the five out spacing, like that was a, a big question to me too of like, all right, how much are they going to go Horford? How much? are they going to go holiday uh, and a big part of the concept for the celtics was you know drew drew holiday is like a pretty good offensive player and whether he doesn't have that in him anymore or whether they just aren't utilizing him well enough like they let denver get away with guarding drew holiday with nicole Jokic. like if they can get away with that then yeah like the the concept doesn't really work that way that well for the celtics like the celtics need to like bludgeon the nuggets defense and they weren't other than a few brief stretches when porzingis was going off from the three-point line early they never really were able to do that i mean and they will have games certainly in a series between these teams where they'll just make enough of their threes i mean they're one of the best shooting teams from three they take the most in the league you know uh but they're not also able to stress the nuggets rim protection and in fact they missed a bunch of layups around Jokic, and Jokic uh, got uh, had the fat guy defense going on on a couple of plays where they wanted fouls uh but ultimately they didn't like they weren't able to you didn't see them like generating like wide open shots or just like great looks all the time where you just felt like ah the nuggets just don't have an answer for this um so yeah i I mean i think this game would make me feel better about the nuggets in that series and also you know malone went to the real lineup we just don't you kind of forget what the real lineup on the bench looks like with these guys until they deploy it it's like oh yeah their bench isn't some massive liability the way it looks like in the ring no because they're going to play it differently uh so we have the celtic stats 33 and 10 on the season five and three since the last 1560 plus 9.9 net rating is number one in the league second offense third on defense bpis espn's bpi projection to have them finishing as the one seed, not only in the East, but in the full NBA, 63 wins. And of course, they're going to make the playoffs. One other quick note, which related to this game, Boston has the lowest opponent free throw attempt rate by a ton. They 15.1 per 100 field goal attempts when the next lowest is the Lakers at 17 and the median is just over 20. So they they do not let concede free throws to other teams. All right, before we move on, I want to remind you about the free preview of Dunked on Prime Subscribe now, no obligation. Give it a try for a month. If you don't like it, you can cancel. We love our product. We want more people to try it. This is one of the best times of year. We got the mock trade deadline coming up. So please give it a a shot and get all of our myriad benefits.
benefits. Uh, link to that is in the show notes. Yeah, so we just spent 35 minutes of recording time here on the Celtics and Nuggets, and we only got through one East team. So clearly we're not going to get through every team today, but I thought it's rare that you see a fully healthy matchup between the two championship favorites. So I think we wanted to break this down in its entirety. Who should we talk about next year? You and I both did a fair amount of work going through games and I believe the earliest of those chronologically is one that you did, which was Hawks versus Magic. Um, I'll, I'll do Atlanta's stats right now. They are 18 and 24 on the year, four and four since the last 15 and 60. Their negative 1.7 net rating is 21st in the NBA. That's the cleaning the glass version. 11th on offense, 26th on defense. BPI projects them to finish with 34 wins, which is 12th. Yes, that is well out of the play-in for the Hawks. Gives them a 5% chance of making the playoffs. Something BPI is not considering, but matters, is that Trey Young took a charge on Saturday night and is now in the concussion protocol. We do not know yet how long he will be out. They have games on Wednesday and Thursday of this coming week. So that's not great, but it is good that DeJounte Murray hit two game winners in a row on Wednesday and on Friday. Yeah, Hawks got throttled 116.95 by Cleveland at home, uh, but that was after the second consecutive game winner that he had in Atlanta and, or I'm sorry, in Miami on Friday night. And it was a matter of some controversy that the Heat had a 31 minute halftime for Udonis Haslam's jersey retirement after the game started. I think. I, I mean, I mean, well. one minute, one minute for each year he was he was on the Heat. So I get it. Yeah, <laughs> one minute for each year. They promised him a minimum salary when he opted <laughs> out of uh, in the summer of 2014. He, he opted out of uh, five million dollars to get the minimum. The minimum, was yeah. Much so lower. anyway, but yeah, Atlanta beats them, and then uh, you might argue uh, the schedule was not kind for them against a Cleveland team that is absolutely on fire that I'm eager to talk about later on. So going back to this one though, neither team could score in this game. It's uh, fairly common with the Orlando Magic. Magic 10 of 35 from downtown. The Hawks were 8 of 25. Weren't really able to generate many threes, even though that's something that they have done more of under Quinn Snyder this season. I thought that Orlando largely defended really well, but it was that pesky double drag with Trey Young, uh, who played 39 minutes in this one, that they really had some trouble stopping in the third. And they just weren't on the same page. I mean, they had like John Isaac out there, Mo Wagner, and they gave up, I think, three layups or dunks in a row to Anyeka Kongu out of that action. Jonathan Isaac is guarding the guy setting the first screen, the four man. And then I think it was Wagner who is, or Wendell Carter, it might've been Carter actually, who is guarding Okongu setting the second screen. And so they had Okongu rolling to the rim. Carter would kind of step up on Trey Young. And then whoever was guarding, it was Isaac, just like didn't back up and protect the rim at all. He was like trying to get out on Sadiq Bey, who's now shooting 31% for downtown, or Jalen, I think it was actually Jalen Johnson too, who just, you know, is not like some massive above the break threat. And Jonathan Isaac is like glued to him on a pick and pop and they're giving up dunk after dunk at the rim. It was really disheartening for a good Magic team defensively and a really good defender in Jonathan Isaac uh, to see that happening like three times in a row. Finally, they had to call timeout. Uh, Markel Fultz is back 
for the magic and was five of eight but he did have four turnovers in this one i was struck by and you see this a lot of times with these guards who just can't shoot at all like russell westbrook kind of evolved this way as well that when they don't feel comfortable even shooting like a mid-ranger they get into the paint and so they evolve to find the bigs with these like 1980s style passes where it's like you know the guy's five feet away but you still kind of find him a passing angle with a bounce pass or an alley-oop so Fultz is doing a good job of finding Carter on those plays but also it's indicative of Markel Fultz really struggling I believe Markel Fultz has not hit a three-pointer yet this season and he's even when he's like wide open in the corner now he's not taking the which is kind of concerning Markel Fultz has played 263 minutes this year he has attempted three three three-pointers and made zero of them Yeah, yeah. So, so for those for those who are counting at home, that is a three point attempt rate of zero point four per thirty six minutes. Yeah, the other thing that absolutely killed the Magic were mental mistakes with fouling Trey Young in the bonus in the last 90 seconds of the game one was 45 feet from the basket and one was I think 27 feet from the basket both of which resulted in free throws so Magic are down three after a KK fouls Trey Young right at the top of the key trying to to drive the Magic keep driving trying to get the tying no they're they're down three (laughs) trying trying to 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 cut the lead to one yeah like they're trying to get a quick two and they spend like 10 seconds trying to do that driving in finally they throw a flaming bag to Paolo at the top and he's like well someone's got to shoot so he hits an impossible three going to his right to tie it Trey Young is like looking over at Quinn Snyder Quinn is like about to call timeout so Trey kind of relaxes and then he decides like nah fuck it we're not calling a timeout I don't want them to get like defensive subs in or anything like let's just come right back and and, and Orlando has defensive subs yeah so they inbound it to Jante Murray and Jante said afterwards like yeah I was looking at Trey but he was denied Trey was just so so kind of deactivated so Murray just brings it up goes one-on-one against Fultz and hits like an impossible fadeaway uh to win by two uh and pretty impressive by DeJounte Murray and he would do the same uh, against Miami two nights later let's see if I had anything else from this one I had a couple other kind of smaller notes on some of the guys on these teams as well Paulo Bancaro much as I've been impressed by him the time without Franz Wagner who returned for their game today against Miami which they won 105-87 has not been kind to his statistical line down to 53% true shooting that's 5% below the league average on 30% usage he's just had to create nearly everything for these guys and do so with pretty miserable spacing around him and they've kept afloat but they really really miss uh, Franz Wagner so good for him to be back against Miami today and and Paulo really struggled 8 to 25 in this one even with that crazy three to tie it at the end Joe Ingles he's got to be the slowest player in the NBA right now right maybe he was five years ago but yeah I mean it's hard it's hard to think of who would who would not beat him in a race right now 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 there was a time I mean he guarded Chris Paul for a playoff series back in 2017 like he was a quality defender at one point but back back in 2017 when he was like 35 years old yeah I, I mean watching Joe Ingles try to run down a loose rebound near the top of the key it was just like there was no chance he was it makes my body hurt (laughs) 
Yeah, and he's coming back from a, a sprained ankle. But And now I will note that he has one of the better net ratings on the team. He plays with Jonathan Isaac as well. And that, that John, Jonathan Isaac you know, plays 10, 15 minutes a game. Uh, and their defense, of course, is awesome in those minutes. And they kind of need him to counteract their lack of playmaking. But they haven't really been using Ingles much in pick and roll anymore. He's an okay three-point shooter still, but you know, not quite at the same level that he has been. Doesn't He doesn't really... He's kind of at his best as like a second side guy but they don't really have that guy to set him up. Hopefully now maybe with staggering Franz and Paulo, that can unlock him a little bit more. But I noticed this in, before he got hurt in the Cavs game that we did as well, that he really just can't do anything defensively. So he does kind of mess things up for them a little bit. Quick, quick note. Yeah. Best net rating. This is no filters on the Magic. Jonathan Isaac plus 11.6 because they have a ridiculous 100 defensive rating when Isaac's on the floor. Jalen Suggs, one of the more efficient players on the Magic. As you look at his play type data, you know, spot up, transition, pick and roll, etc. This year to last year, anything, any discrepancies or similarities point uh, show up to you? The jump in in his spot up efficiency is is, is pretty striking. Yeah. Going from um eight like point eight five points per per possession up to over one over one one point oh six, like that is a huge jump, and they are a higher proportion of possessions up from twenty two and a half to twenty nine. And that's been my theory for Suggs for a while. It's like, yeah, I mean, it'd be great if he could be your on-ball dynamo. And the the stats there haven't been great, you know, as a as a scorer in pick and roll below 0.75 points per possession. But if he can hit his spot-ups, he's so damn good defensively, you can live with it. Yeah, and reducing the percentage of time that he's running pick and roll from 23% down to 17 is solid. Like, that's about where he should be as a, you know, maybe the third perimeter threat in most these lineups that he's out with or all right one or two pick and roll three maybe pick and roll possessions finished per game that's kind of more what he's on pace on for so far this season and of course the fact he's shooting 38.5 percent from three that is 8.1 percent higher than his career average which includes actually this season it does as well so and that 8.1 percent higher than his career that's basically the highest positive delta of anybody with his number of attempts in the league now he is young so it's more like to be real you might say like his form has never been terrible he's been kind of more of a 70s free throw shooter than an 80s free throw shooter in his career but uh, so if i had to predict his three-point percentage for the rest of the season you know i'd probably be more mid-30s than high 30s necessarily uh, but he also has been taking more difficult shots than he had in the past when it was kind of just more wide open ones but is if you look at is there any growth in terms of his ability to create not really self-created field goals per our proprietary stats from Seth Partno, only 47% e-field goal percentage. That's really bad. But when someone passes in the ball, a team created shots, 62% e-field goal percentage, which is awesome. When you look at his finishing at the basket when he's contested 51% that's like barely decent but for a guy who's more of a secondary player you know we're not talking about a guy who's like creating the advantage going against a set defense out of pick and roll on a lot of these finishes well and and for the season on all shots around the basket 70.5% at Amica Insurance we know it's more than just a car it's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive the hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.
At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. Uh, you want to give the magic stats? I have one more thing I want to mention about Sadiq Bay, but yes, uh, uh, the overall the magic on the season they are twenty two and twenty. Or sorry, I'll, I'll update it. They're twenty three and twenty. They're three and five since the last fifteen sixty. Plus one point one net rating is fifteenth in the NBA, but that's a mix of twenty fourth on offense and fourth on defense, which is pretty notable. BPI has them finishing forty two and forty, so just over over five hundred, which would be the eighth seed in the East. And um, one other quick thing I wanted to mention, because I did a little bit of stat pulling just as I was going through notes on everyone else. Offensively, the Magic are number two in location effective field goal percentage, despite taking the third fewest threes. And it's because they get to the rim the most in the league and um, location effective field goal percentage loves rim attempts like that's some of the most valuable stuff. And remember, that doesn't include free throw attempts or anything else like that. So they're second in location, but they're 26th in actual because the Magic are dead last in three point percentage. Dead last from mid-range. The only place where they're efficient is the place where they're getting more shots than anyone else, and that's around the basket. Yeah, and that's a part of that's their transition game, forcing turnovers as well. And they have a lot of bad shooters on this team. We talked about Fultz. Anthony Black, who now isn't playing for them with the return of Fultz, uh, and wasn't playing that he was starting, but was getting the Keith Bogans before that. Anthony Black, Seth, one of the stats that he provides for us is, what is your expected three-point field goal percentage based on how open you are if you were just a league average three-point shooter? And Anthony Black is the second highest expected three-field goal percentage of anybody who plays real minutes and actually takes any amount of threes, basically. So he would have be expected to be 38.5%, but he still is not taking. He's taking like three per 100 possessions or something like that. And then Mo Wagner is another guy who was drafted really for his stretch ability. He's become incredibly efficient inside the arc. And the fact that he's able to have over 20% usage and annually has a true shooting percentage above 65%, like that actually is really, it's underrated how valuable that is, particularly on a team like this. But he can't hit any threes. He's shooting 29%. And another guy who, if you're above 38% on an expected three field goal percentage, like that basically means all your threes are wide open. So he's shooting 10% worse than would be expected of a league average three-point shooter. Uh, but Todd is another guy who barely takes them, but he's really low in that number. And meanwhile, Wendell Carter, who has missed a bunch of the season, he's hitting 44% from downtown overall on relatively similar quality of looks to some of the gentlemen we were talking about. We'll see whether that continues. And the way that Jamal Mosley handles their center position with Batadze, who they've had probably the most success with, Mo Wagner as a bench guy, and then Carter, who is the most defensively versatile and also shoots it the best of those three guys. And then you also, maybe even with Franz back now, you might consider doing a little John Isaac at center as well. So I I think that's going to be an interesting strategic element for Mosley and particularly because they're so good on defense and so good in transition and forcing turnovers, but they also are going to need to score at some point uh, as well. So that's, I think, uh, a lot of different elements that he's going to have to deal with there. Meanwhile, for Atlanta, Sadiq Bey. 
is having a miserable January. He's 13 of his last 51 from downtown. He's now down to 54% true shooting on 16% usage, 31% from downtown on the season. His career high true shooting percentage was 57%. And he's almost really still dining out on how good he looked as a rookie. And he was efficient for Atlanta after the trade, but you know, that was like 20 games last year. And this year he's really struggling. So uh, yeah, he's making 6% fewer of his three-point field goal attempts than would be expected and for an average shooter and if Sadiq Bey is not going to be a good shooter like is he even a rotation player possibly not I mean there there a lot of teams just don't have enough like six eight guys so he could potentially be in there but he's your fourth forward at best if he can't make those shots And, and he's starting for them they traded the five second round picks for him I mean I never would have thought like oh man wow they're really missing DeAndre Hunter but he's he's been way better than Sadiq Bey yeah he and he's and by, also by the way DeAndre better Hunter, defensively too Hunter 40 percent on 5.6 threes per 36 this year and if you had to and now Hunter is like Bay is definitely a higher volume guy than Hunter but I mean if you had to look at the biggest reasons why the Hawks owner performed this year how little they've gotten out of Hunter and Bay is probably at the topest yeah I mean especially because because the Hawks have been, I would say, reasonably healthy. I mean, so far, so they've played 42 games so far this year um, per basketball reference. I'm not sure it has everything in. DeJounte's played 42. Trey Young has played 39. Bogdanovich has played 40. Clint Capella has played 40. So they have had yeah, some absence. They've been pretty healthy, yeah. honestly. Like, J- like Jalen Johnson missed like a month with the, with the, what was it, a hand issue or, or, sorry, wrist issue. And, you know, Hunter has been out. But that's, I mean, everyone else has really been there yeah. the whole year it's it's definitely a concern overall Nate you already invoked them once um let's go to the Cleveland Cavaliers yes Cleveland are playing incredibly well a little bit of that has been opponent shooting luck Uh, opponents are shooting very poorly on wide open threes and and some opponent health luck but I'll talk about that yes yes but hey these guys with no Darius Garland and no Evan Mobley when those guys went down they were pretty much 500 and were like man what what are the Cavs gonna do here they like could they if they're still 500 at the trade deadline could they have to trade Donovan Mitchell JP Bickerstaff like could he be facing pressure and 25 and 15 now five and oh in their last five since uh we last checked in on them two weeks ago plus 3.7 net rating ninth in the nba 19th on offense but uh, as you'll note they are improving markedly over the last few weeks there and they're now up to second on defense and bpi which has always loved them has them for the three seed of 53 wins which mm-hmm. that seems a little rosy but how are uh, they doing it? I'm not. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Right. Um. So yeah. So a little bit of context. So yeah, the Cavs were 13 and 12. Garland went down a week after Mobley on December 14th. Since then, the Cavs are 12 and three with a plus 10.1 net rating. That is second to the Celtics that, during amazing. that time frame. That's absolutely amazing. It's 12 incredible. and three since those guys got hurt. 11th on offense, first on defense. They're almost a full point ahead of number two, which maybe Boston. I, I didn't put that in my notes. They did. I mentioned have some health. Like, like for example, they played the Bucks without Giannis and beat him by beat him by forty. Um, yeah, so that that yeah. helps. But I mean, you're th- you're twelve and three with a plus ten net rating. Any any help that you get is is okay. 
Like they're they're missing two of their four best players and have been for weeks now. And actually, a quick update on that front: um, Garland should be returning soonish. Like it's say in the next week or so. Remember that he's like kind of getting. Like, it, I would say it's kind of like a version of the return to play conditioning. And yeah, Evan well, Mobley, I mean, when you if when you have a broken jaw, you can't move your jaw. So <laughs> that's yeah. a that's a little bit of a problem. He he has was he basically couldn't do any kind of working out, and I would imagine he was on a liquid diet for a while too. And much as uh, those protein shakes uh, give you a lot, it's, it's tough to really maintain any kind of conditioning. That's all you're able to do. And then we're five weeks after Evan Mobley had a six to eight week timetable. So we should be getting an update on him relatively soon. Um, wouldn't be surprised if he's out until around the trade deadline, but it could it could be faster. Let's let's hope that it's faster. Um, but then I, you br- it came up. But not only are the Cavs the current four seed, they are only two losses behind the Bucks and the Sixers right now as we record this podcast. If the Cavs moving forward are healthier than either of those two the rest of the way, it wouldn't surprise me if the Cavs jumped them. I mean, they've had you never know if injury luckily you, you just roll the dice again. It's not like oh these guys missed twenty games. Games, they're never going to miss him again um but that has some could have some very that, that sing- would annoy me so much like i've been wanting to see a sixers bucks playoff series for like the last five years well, like and, I, i've got to see Embiid and Giannis match and up in the playoffs sometime not only that but what that would do is it would put either the sixers or the bucks presumably in a if things went chalky in a second round series with the celtics and so all of a sudden you get something that's really different there it could be really interesting and and so something else I wanted to talk about briefly, well, who have been the heroes for the Cavs during this run? And, and there, are, there are a number of different ways to phrase that. I mean, I'm really impressed with Jared Allen, um, 18 points, 13 rebounds over a block and a steal per game and 3.7 assists per game. Yeah. We like, talked we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how they're running so much more more through him, him. Donovan in, in Mitchell, the absence of Garland. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell's individual efficiency hasn't been great, but a 121 offensive rating when he's on the floor is fantastic, especially when you consider some of the context. Yeah. And you, you know what it kind of is, Danny? This is like him going back to his Utah Jazz days. You've got a, a big center who can roll to the basket and then you have like really good shooting. One of them being George Niang, <laughs> by the way, uh, around him. And uh, so, like, he's he's got a lot of experience. You know, and he never had like unbelievable individual efficiency with the Jazz either, but they always had really good team offensive ratings. And that's exactly what's happening here. It's a great point. I hadn't really thought of it that way. And then another big thing to focus on every single during this stretch, every single Cleveland Cavalier who plays consistent minutes has a positive net rating. Every single one. That's so that means that when you have your starters on the floor, I mean, Donovan Mitchell's is a plus 17. Jared Allen's is a plus 12. But like Karis LeVert is handling another one of the heroes of the stretch is handling a really big workload plus 2.1 when he's on the floor if your backups are out beating the other team's backups and your starters are beating the other team's starters that's how you're going to win the game Dean Wade is finally making shots. We talked again about how their crazy three-point volume during this stretch is up. But Dean Wade, he I mean, those of us who didn't know what the fuck we were talking about with him early in his career, like, oh, this is just some like, you know, slow white guy, stretch four, you know, like uh 
proto George Niang type of type of guy. And you know, as it turned out, really his ability to defend kind of three through five and even switch on to some smaller players was the big selling point. But then he had the shoulder issue last year, just hadn't made shots in about a year and a half. And now that he's making shots, like he's a really valuable player. He's got a 15 net rating during yeah. the stretch also. And a plus 12 for Craig Porter Jr. We talked about him a lot. Yeah. And Porter Jr. hasn't even actually been playing like all that much. They've kind of been going yeah. more to Levert as the yeah. eight, eight, the but 18, 18 minutes per game. He's been totally credible. I mean, so for for Porter Jr. in that smaller role, 50.5 true shooting. So that is toned down on 19 usage. But, you know, he's still helping them, still helping them when they really need it. Like they've gotten credible minutes from Tristan Thompson and everyone else. And it's just like it's wild. And it's it's such a such an encouraging stretch for Cleveland considering what the 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 doom that we were justifiably feeling when those twin injuries happened. All right, let's talk about speaking of doom, the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, you got to do them this week. Um the Hornets their overall full season stats Oh, this is not going to be fun. Uh, the Hornets are, you know, 9-31, and 1-6 and six since the last 15-60, and 60, 29th in net rating, negative 11.5. They are one of the still four, four teams that have a below a negative 10 net rating. 28th in offense, 28th in defense, projected to win 19 games, which is, th- which is third to last in the East. Incredible. Um, the Hornets, one other stat that I pulled, they have a comically low 17 free throw rates. That's 17 free throw attempts per 100 field goal attempts. That is second worst in the NBA ahead of only the Spurs. Medians just over 20. And they have the opponents are shooting the highest effective field goal percentage against the Hornets than against any other opponent. Oh, and actually one piece of injury news before we get into your breakdown. Steve Clifford said on Friday that he doesn't think Mark Williams is very close to returning to the court. He played six weeks ago and Clifford added that Mark Williams had a series of setbacks. It's a back, so it's not something you want to mess around with. So that's not great. No, and they've really, their only competent moments this season have come with him on the floor. Good to see that Brandon Miller is back, though, with his low back contusion uh, after he was undercut on a dunk uh, by Keldon Johnson in the Spurs game that you talked about uh, two weeks ago. So he came back on Friday against the Pelicans, but it was uh, not a great performance by the Hornets uh, against the Pels. Pels go 25 of 47 from downtown with Jordan Hawkins going 6 of 9, Brandon Ingram 7 of 11. Interesting, Ingram was 7 of 11 from 3 and 1 of 8 from 2, but also had 10 assists uh, and 10 rebounds, was uh, very interested in getting the triple-double down the end, which is uh, the only reason he played 34 minutes. No other Pels starter even had to play 30. There was a point in the second quarter where Trey Murphy the third was just taking like it looked like it was just his warm-ups taking threes and somehow he only made I think three out of eight in the first half but it was just like for him to get up eight threes in the first half was it was just insane that like their defense just all you had to do was take like two dribbles towards the paint and then pass it to somebody and it was just a wide open through the ball like this is the Pels the Pels getting up 47 threes and this wasn't like one of these things like oh man they're just packing the paint so well (laughs) uh you know but like Zion had nine assists Ingram had 10 assists it was just but there was just once you made the first pass there wasn't even the pretense of another rotation to like get to a shooter and make them move 
move the ball again. Like it was just one pass. That's how like Zion and Ingram combined for 19 assists. It was just, all right, we're just drive in, throw it to a wide open Jordan Hawkins or Trey Murphy. Like they're two best shooters and, or like Brandon Ingram will just like get one pass off a screen and just be wide open for a three and make it like obviously 25 of 47 is pretty good shooting, but it was just really, really bad defense by the Hornets. I was wondering like towards the end of the, like they actually kept in it for the first half just because New Orleans was like missing a ton of wide open threes in the second and Nick Richards sprains his ankle midway through the second I'm like hey why don't they go to PJ Washington at center they ended up bringing in JT Thor instead to play center next to PJ Washington and you know PJ Washington was uh those were their best lineups back in the James Borrego era remember when they're like oh man James Borrego that guy is a terrible coach like he's these guys play so undisciplined like we got we got to get somebody else in here uh that turned out to uh (laughs) <laughs> I've been a downgrade, it would seem. And so I was like, all right, I mean, I'll check on the PGA Center lineups. I, I haven't seen that much of them. Uh, they actually have played them a reasonable number of possessions so far this year. But I was like, yeah, you know, that's really unsuccessful. I think when I looked at it, it was negative 8.5. Now it's actually negative 6.5. I was like, yeah, that's not very successful. Like, oh, wait, no, they're like overall net ratings, like negative 10. These are actually their most efficient lineups. <laughs> Uh, you want a you want a wild stat in the PJ PJ at five lineups. Oh yeah. Okay, so they have a 123 defensive rating, 123.6, which is really really bad. Opponents are shooting 45 percent from three in these minutes. Yeah. No, it definitely is like I, I mean I still think it's probably their best, particularly with Mark Williams out. Like like to just I mean they have you know obviously like Gordon Hayward doesn't play that often, but you know they have they've they've got Bridges, they've got Washington, like they had some decent guys that they can get. Like they're playing like Nathan Mensa. See, is it Nathan? He's like a, a two way center. Yes, it I is. believe it is Nathan Mensa out of uh, San Diego State. Yeah, he's on a two way nine two thirty. You know they're playing JT Thor. They're playing Nick Richards who. Yeah, he's a great rebounder. Like I, I don't mind playing him some. Well, and and why Nick not Richards, just go with Nick Richards yeah. sprained his ankle, and and that was the game you watched, correct? Yeah, he did come back though in the second half. It, oh, that's right, but, that was yeah, and and he's yeah. he's playing in their next game, I believe. So I think he's okay. Yeah. Now let's see what else stood out to me. Uh, Lamelo, twenty nine points, seven assists, negative twelve, five fouls, four turnovers, four twelve from three, and he actually did end up getting to the foul line for nine out of ten somehow even though these guys are just awful at getting the foul line but it was just the way it just seems so unserious and that's obviously a well-known criticism of him so he late he had like a couple of wild drives in the first late first he starts to really get going he scores eight points or a couple of threes and i think he got fouled for a, a couple of free throws and then you know his next like four or five shots were just completely wild drives just like thrown up off the top of the backboard fading three pointers without his feet under him which you know he could make those but these are just the overall hornet shot selection in this game was so bad terry <laughs> Rozier actually did shoot 7-11 from three but like in the fourth quarter as they're just getting totally blown out of the gym the number of just like zero pass possessions was insane <laughs> i really just i i couldn't deal with it and so i was going through some of Seth's stats 
in preparation for this and i was like yeah you know a lot of teams like you know pretty good isolation teams like you know the bucks they got dame and Giannis. like a fair number of their shots are gonna be self-created roll down wait a minute the hornets are fourth in the percentage of their shots that are self-created like this team like yeah they should be working, attacking more in transition like who are these like great isolation players that they have like they really just play pretty selfishly honestly and miles bridges was absolutely salient among those five of 13 from two in this game so many drives where he would pick the ball up at the dotted line like try to euro step but he hadn't ever really beaten his guy and so he's just euro stepping into a floater contested by the guy who was guarding him the whole time just like awful shots and it was a, a good window into why he hasn't been as efficient this year they did get cody martin back as so, well i mean like these starters for the hornets are not all like it's ball rosier miles bridges cody martin they got pj washington coming off the bench like that's you know nick richards like a backup level sound like that's not like a pathetic lineup that should have like a negative 10 net rating and like just look like they weren't even playing well, basketball on either end of the floor and then like after that game they they scored 89 against the sixers and lost in a game where philly shot five of 25 from three so it's like they're they've they've yeah. even even when like parts of it have gone a little bit their way they really haven't and i mean i think the hornets shot badly in that one too frank nilakino is back he wears number 44 for them uh didn't he just played some garbage time here james book actually has returned from uh his knee surgery and uh, he played four minutes uh, in garbage time at six points Mm. Um, the Nick Smith Jr. actually was in the rotation at backup point guard. Actually played some minutes with Ish Smith as well. And and Nick Smith Jr. like he's got some athleticism. He's got some size. Like he's be an interesting guy to keep an eye on if they ever get a, a real team. But obviously he's not ready to play NBA rotation minutes just yet. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. Speaking of not ready to play NBA rotation minutes just yet, let's go to the Washington Wizards. Seven and 34. One and five since we last checked in on them. Who did they beat? I remember they got smoked by the Pistons. They oh, did. no, they beat the they beat the Hawks. They killed the Hawks in Atlanta. That's what it was last weekend. Correct. Uh, negative yeah, 10.3. That's, net that's, rating. that's yeah. their only win in 2024. Uh, negative 10.3 net rating is 27th, 25th on offense, DFL on defense, 122.8 defensive rating, 
still project to only be the second worst team in the East and one of the greatest Watpos I've ever come up with. Uh, 17 and 65. And they are also the worst offensive rebounding team in the NBA, which is not surprising since the only big they have is Daniel Gafford, who at least is back from the concussion protocol. Uh, they are 2% worse than the Lakers. 21% offensive rebounds. The median is 20%. And they are also the worst defensive rebounding team in the NBA by a ton. 32% opponent offensive rebound rate. And next highest is OKC, who is about a percentage point below them. And they're about six points worse than the median there. And uh, Victor Wembanyama took it to uh, his former teammate, Bilal Koulibaly, and the Wizards on Saturday. I, I figured one way of taking some of the sting out of watching the Wizards was to at least have the Spurs. And there were times where it was enjoyable. Wembanyama had a, had a very nice game overall. I'm not going to focus as much on San Antonio because this is a Wizards section. And I there were some very real Wizards takeaways from this game. And one of them is, well, so as you mentioned, Daniel Gafford is back, but he was not back for the game that I watched. He returned on Sunday. This is the Saturday game against the Spurs. They got, I know they lost, but they lost by nine to the Nuggets. I think Jokic had like nine, had like 42 and nine or something like that against them. Um, But so I, I had this, this idea that, I mean, there are a lot of teams over the years where they're backups are better relative to other teams' backups than their starters are relative to other teams' starters and how that affects various different things and how a team is evaluated. Like, for example, as a starter, that's why De'Aaron Fox, like his black box metrics were so terrible his first year. It's because the Kings had terrible starters and like pretty good backups. I'm going to go in a different direction. I firmly believe that not uniformly, but close to it, I think the Wizards' backups might be better than their starters. Not better relative, but straight-up better basketball players. And there was a stretch during this game in the fourth quarter where Bilal Koulibaly and Denny Avdia, who plays significant minutes for them, um, Denny Denny often you know often starts. He's one of their one of their better players, but he plays a lot also with the bench, which is pretty fun. Um, where they led this not comeback but just push, where the the Wizards went out to a ten point lead with about uh, five six minutes to go, and then and I'm just sitting there like, what is Wes Unsell Jr. going to do here? Like so, it was no no Kuzma no pool with four twenty four to go, and I'm just like, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? And Kuzma came in with three and a half to go. Spurs had cut the lead to five. I think Wembenyama hit a three. And then they eventually brought Poole back in. And what was a 10 point, an 11 point lead went to a, you know, I think it ended up being like a five point loss. And it's striking. And part of that is San Antonio brought their better guys back in and all that. But like the Wizards bench lineups have DeLon Wright, who puts heat on the ball, which can be good. And I'm not saying DeLon Wright is better than Tyus Jones necessarily, but he does that. Koulibaly and Denny Avdia don't make a ton of mistakes. And like there were some things I really like from Koulibaly that we'll get into in this game. And then, you know, they had weird, flawed backup five minutes. But I mean, that's OK. Their their starting center in this game was Bagley, who had great counting stats, but also had some real defensive challenges. And also the benefit of the backup lineups is they don't have Jordan Poole in them, which is beneficial for the those lineups relatively overall. Yeah, and, I mean, Poole's shot selection is just, it's unbelievable at this point. I mean, I guess it, the feeling is, hey, this is your game. This is what you're out there to do. But I mean, he just, he doesn't do it successfully. Yeah, I, I will give Poole credit. He had a couple of good plays defensively where he hustled. 
And so there was one where he had a nice finish. He was behind the play, ran back and got a poke away for a steal. I was like, okay, you know, you 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 get burnt. You have the layup. You're behind the play. Bust dress back. That was in the first or, first quarter, I believe. Then later on, at the end of the first quarter, he did something else that was pretty cool. Where Poole, the Spurs were holding the ball for the last shot. And it wasn't a, it didn't seem like it was like a coordinated thing as much, though, with the Wizards. It can be hard to know. And Poole just like runs over and steals the ball as the Spurs are trying to hold it, gets a pick six to end the quarter. And you're like, okay, like, good, good work, Jordan Poole. Um, so, but then there were a lot of bad ones. Like there was one where it was with Devin Vassell where Poole is, he's the low man. So like part of the thing I, I gave, uh, Josh Giddy a lot of praise for this in the uh, strategy stream broadcast we did of the Thunder jazz game. Like part of what being the low man is, is just reacting and being there, even if you're not making something much harder, but it was a play where Jordan Poole's looking at the ball. Devin Vassell gets a quick give and go. I believe it was with Zach Collins. And Poole never takes a step or a half step towards anything and just like concedes the wide open layup. It's just like, what the hell are you doing, man? It was it was very frustrating. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about Blow Cool Bali. I, I so there he has some really fun elements of his game. We've talked about this a little bit over over the half season so far. But Cool Bali, he's an aggressive driver, even though it's not bearing a ton of fruit yet. But like I like that aggressiveness. And there was one yeah. really nice one where he it was in my transition he did a drive and a righty kind of like scoop finish over doug mcdermott and it's like oh like that's that's a move you don't usually see from a 19 year old kid who barely played in france last year and then cool bali his three-point release is slow and eventually that will be a problem like he you know if he was on a better team or something matter but i fully believe that he will speed it up still making 40 percent taking three and a half per 36 you know so that's 100 over 100 threes total so that's you know it's more positive than it could be though we'll have to keep an eye on it that cool ball is only making 65 percent of his free throws not getting to the line a ton either so maybe it'll tone down in terms of percentages but there's at least there's something you can build from here with him um and then with Obdia, like I, the, the line that I have in the major takeaways section of this is like Denny Obdia is going to be a valued player on a good team one day. I'm just not sure it's going to be with the Wizards because <laughs> he like he competes hard on defense. He actually did a really good job relatively on Wembenyama. There were some stretches where they put him on Wembenyama and then had Bagley on someone else. Often that uh, was Jeremy Sohan, but it could be it could have been someone else. And like it wasn't like they were using Bagley the way that the Spurs use Wembenyama in those circumstances. It was just like, you know, Bagley was hanging out doing some stuff. But like I thought Optia did a good job and he's getting more confident as an offensive player. Usage rate is still low. I think it's like 18%, 16%. I looked I looked at it, but I forgot the number. Um, but he's, you know, he's doing more. He's getting a little bit more confident. And he hit a couple threes in this one. And so, like, there are pieces of the Wizards that when you think about, okay, three, four years from now, if they're a credible team by that point, maybe it's even sooner if they can get some good guys in the draft and free agency. That can make sense with that. Obdia and Koulibaly are, are, are key among them. It's just going to take some time to sort everything else out. Yeah. That, that could be, like, a good three, four defensively if mm-hmm. those guys can make enough shots. Obviously yeah, would be. is skinny. I've wondered whether he might actually be better as a two, but he can play. I think he can. He'll play yeah. the three. I think like, he's. I think he'll fill out enough to, yeah. to be. A he, three, I mean, with the seven-two wingspan. Seven-two wingspan. Like, um, it, apparently, like his physical, like the measurables are very close to Mikael Bridges, and like we've seen that kind of evolution from Mikael. Though I would love to see Koulibaly defend on ball a little bit more than I have so far. But so 
the end of the game was a lot of like i mean i, I don't nate i don't know if you're looking at my notes but i used the phrase like kuzma shitty and then whatever kind of shot it was a, a number of different times i deliberately <laughs> whited out kyle kuzma's stats i so i don't want you to be looking right there i'm gonna okay, give okay. his crunch time stats this year all right okay 36 usage which is 10th highest in the league of guys who play, have played enough club minutes for me to count it yeah. Well, did you know he played for the Lakers and he won a championship in 2020? Allegedly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So so that's why he should have 36% usage on this team, right? 42% true shooting in those in that with that 36.2 usage. OK, I don't know if you're emotionally prepared for this. And these stats are Kuzma stats, but they're also wizard stats because he's played every crunch time minute for them, which is not many. Yeah. The Washington Wizards in crunch time have an 80.2 offensive rating. A twelve, a two and twelve record, but their crunch time net rating for the season, Kuzma individually and the team, negative sixty three. Wow! I mean, the Suns overall in the fourth quarter, up until recently when they had that like twenty two point comeback, were like the worst fourth quarter team ever. Like overall in the fourth quarter, there have been a lot of games where the Wiz have been like you know up ten going into like the last few minutes and like this one to blow it. Yes, yeah. like this one. Yeah. So that that was pretty pretty ridiculous. Um. So I do. Think think there are some positives for the wizards moving forward and like you know i, I don't know how long they're going to keep delon and tyus jones there they both get oh another fun element of this game was you had tyus versus trey jones both of whom played significant minutes and it's both fun because they're brothers but they're also like not necessarily the most fun point guards to watch so it wasn't, it wasn't like it led to a fun game it was more of a curiosity but it, i'm sure they enjoyed it which was and they both got to start which is fun um so yeah i mean there were some things that i liked about it i mean getting to watch koulibaly play that well was really fun like that was to me the biggest wizards highlight of the game biggest overall highlight was Wembenyama being awesome but We'll save that more for the Spurs the, section. The no look block on on Tyler Jones. <laughs> that was, well, that and, was and oh, one quick Spurs note is that they're getting a lot better looking for him. Kind of after that mimed alley oop, it seems like there's been a, a greater directive on like doing that. Also, playing Trey Jones in the starting lineup has really helped, and so like. The, especially against the Wizards, but even against better teams, they can get like five or six just straight up like lobs a game for an easy dunk for Wembenyama, like just because he's tall and he's in the right positioning. And he definitely did that in this one. Let's finish up for this evening talking about the Heat and Raptors. Miami is 24 and 18, four and three since we last checked in on them and struggling to shoot the ball lately. I mentioned they only put up 87 in that game against Orlando. Uh, they were one of 11 from three. Three in the game we're going to talk more about a few days ago versus Toronto. Uh, and so, yeah, negative 0.1 net rating, 16th, 20th on offense, 11th on defense. BPI likes him for the seven seed, 44 wins, 88% chance of making the playoffs. Uh, and lots to talk about here, but any interesting overall trends from this season for Miami? A couple of different things. So the Miami Heat have the second worst offensive location effective field goal percentage ahead of only the Warriors. Um, and it's because they don't take any shots at the rim. Less than 29% of their shots are there and only middle of the road on threes. So they're taking 36% of their shots per queen in the glass are classified as mid rangers. That is the highest in the NBA. And they are outperforming that in terms of actual effective field goal percentage, but not by much. They go up from 26th to 20th or sorry, from 28th, from 29th to 20th. Um, cause they're still, they take, don't take many shots around the basket. They don't make many shots around the basket and they're one of the worst at long twos, but they're two big offensive saving graces. Cause as you mentioned, they're 21st in offense. They're shooting 38.4% from three, which is number eight in the NBA. And they're third in free throw attempt rate. 
So those two things are really keeping them afloat. And before we talk about this game against Toronto, Spo changing up the starting lineup for today's game against the Magic to little effect. Started Tyler Hero. Kevin Love is coming off the bench now. They're starting actually Nikola Jovic, uh, but he only played 15 minutes. So Hero at the one, Caleb Martin at the two, Jimmy Butler, Nikola Jovic, and of course, Bam Adebayo didn't do too well in this one. They actually ended up 12 of 37 from downtown, but couldn't score from two point range. Hero, interestingly, was four of 14, four of 11 from three. So he only took two, or I'm sorry, he only took three two pointers and missed all of them. They continued to be really good with Jimmy Butler on the floor, plus 5.6 net rating. And of course, he missed a bunch of time, which they were able to have some nice wins on the road when mm-hmm. shorthanded. And the feeling was, all right, Butler is back now. You know, they got Hero back from the broken hand and Adebayo missed some time. He's back now. Caleb Martin now is finally ready to get back in the starting lineup. I thought he actually looked pretty good physically in the Toronto game uh, with some of those twisting drives, uh, getting to the basket off of closeouts uh, and in transition. They've moved Kyle Lowry to the bench, I think in part just because he was playing too many minutes for them, but he really struggled in this one unfortunately tyler hero just he complained a couple of years ago so he's not allowed to come off the bench anymore one thing that i think uh his return to the lineup has really kind of minimized duncan robinson and, and he hasn't done nearly as much like that he was one of the big reasons why they were doing so well and they still actually are shooting 38 percent from downtown on the season despite the recent struggles but duncan robinson i still think is a guy who when he's going well might be a better offensive player than tyler and, hero just and has yeah. phenomenal chemistry with bam Adebayo. yeah I, I think that's uh, that's important too um and yeah i mean we're just we've got a lot of evidence now that tyler hero is just like not that impactful a player for these guys and that they've generally not really missed him when he's been out I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that they're better without him but they might be better without him if he's going to be playing 35 minutes a game and i think they also came to the conclusion though that lowry was playing too much and that they need to get more offense on the floor so maybe that's why they they're giving Jovic a, a chance now he's had some monster games down in Sioux Falls but they have basically everyone healthy right now and they have a lot of pieces that I think are, are pretty interesting but of late they just haven't looked that good and we'll see whether they're able to actually like start winning games consistently not be as reliant on the clutch in this one there was nothing approximating clutch time they trailed 50 to 20 <laughs> early in the second quarter I mentioned their terrible three-point shooting Toronto was fantastic with theirs i kept having to rewrite in my notes because usually i'd be like oh all right well they've reached the high water mark now with this three-point shooting so i want to mention like what the high water mark was but then they just kept making more and more shots uh, i think the best they got to was 14 of 19 as they led by 35 points in the first half and miami actually got it under 20 points at one point but with a 21 to 3 run in the third quarter but it never really got below 15 points it, uh, toronto never got into difficulty they just couldn't get enough going offensively you just, there wasn't that much to take away from this Haywood uh, Highsmith, whose defense I continue to love. Uh, I thought he really struggled attacking closeouts. He first got a three blocked by Chris Boucher when he just kind of hesitated and then shot it over him. And Chris Boucher, he's sort of from the Pat Connaughton school of contesting three-pointers where he'll just completely sell out, uh, particularly if it's in the corner. And then Highsmith had another awkward drive and floater that, that didn't get anywhere. So uh, the Heat also, in part because the 
watches were shooting so well were just giving up a lot of layups and I even transitioned sometimes to the half court too um part of where the heat were struggling in this one was that Toronto had better spacing than they have had in the past no Pirtle Jonte Porter actually played some center for them Boucher so they and when they're hitting threes the heat kind of got out of their shell defense that they like and that allowed Barrett to attack smaller players like he got uh, some nice buckets in the paint at the expense uh, of hero Scotty Barnes it'll do the same thing this was actually the night of the Siakam trade so Siakam wasn't there anymore in this one uh I guess we can give the Toronto Raptors stats at this point let's do it the Raptors are 16 and 27 2 and 6 since the last 1560 their negative 2.1 net rating is 23rd in the league and surprisingly when you consider where these things started they're 18th on both offense and defense so one of those i expected to be worse one of those i expected to be better um bpi still optimistic thinks they'll finish with 36 wins which would be the 10 seed in the east that would mean they would make the play-in um 11 chance of making the playoffs per bpi one other thing i wanted to know for them scotty barnes still having a wonderful season overall 29 from three and 50 percent true shooting in 11 games in january so far so i want to know where the full season numbers are but like we talked about this a lot in the top prospects pod of like just where where his where his expected value is moving forward is going to move he's definitely a much better shooter and he's much better player than he was before this is something i'm going to monitor yeah and barnes i mentioned that comparison of this year's three-point shooting numbers to the career he's a plus 5.7 relative to his career numbers from downtown and still shooting a robust 42 percent on uncontested threes Mm. this season and another guy who on the self-created stuff 47 percent e-field goal percentage that is a pretty low number overall that's yeah, kind of in the uh, maybe in the 35th percentile or so league-wide where he's really upped his efficiency is 64 percent uh, on team created field goal attempts and he still is shooting 38 percent overall on the season from downtown if you look at his expected field goal percentage based just on the overall quality of shots he takes from two and three point range 53 percent. but he actually is outperforming the quality of the shots that he's getting which is uh, that's uh, an important aspect for any kind of a star is you got to just make uh, some of those difficult shots which some of that is because he's finishing plays so well as as opposed to starting and finishing them efficiently uh other things on the Raptors I wanted to ask you this by the way remember how last year they had that amazing double of having the highest turnovers forced and the lowest turnovers committed by percentage how is that this year they're 10th they have the 10th best offensive turnover percentage and the and they're number 20 in forcing turnovers that's amazing that they've gone from number one to number 20 and for most of the year they've had the same team uh, <laughs> so really that is that is pretty fascinating that i think what does that say right is that a data point that your scheme i, I mean i think depending on your personnel there's only so far you can go in terms of making turnovers be forced or i think the other thing is just that if you can't force any turnovers like you'll just get out of that scheme like the way the Bucks have like they're not forcing any turnovers this year they tried to force more and after four games the <laughs> co- the uh the players pulled Adrian Griffin aside like hey uh Adrian you know Brooke Lopez maybe a little better standing near the basket uh so but then you I think so I don't know that you can make a team force turnovers if you don't have the personnel but I do think that you can make a team not force turnovers 
if even if you do have the personnel to force turnovers, sure. which is kind of what we, we're seeing now with and, the Raptors, and, but that's kind of what we were calling for, and that quite frankly hasn't particularly worked uh, under Darko Rajakovic. They're about the same as they were last year defensively, mm-hmm. but they also you know don't force many turnovers and they don't get the benefits of that going the other way. And, and it's notable, I said that the Raptors are forcing turnovers on about four percent fewer of opponent possessions, and they've they've only fallen from 14th on defense to 18th on defense um, overall, and they're they're also holding teams to a much better free throw attempt rate. So it's kind of like a, a trade off there in terms of risk premiums and stuff like that. But it is really fascinating. Um, I don't want to dwell on this, especially because I've been very, po- I, I, I've said some negative things on Scotty Barnes so far in this one, but like I was looking at the splits just now and like Toronto's offense when Barnes is on and Siakam is off has not been great so far, but we're going to build out that sample, of course, over the rest of the year. Yeah. Well, and now they're going to, now they have RJ Barrett. So for this game. And quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And quickly, although I, I imagine quickly in Barnes will be staggered. Um, although I might not actually go that route. I might actually want to just have Dennis Schroeder and maybe Barrett together. I, I don't know. There still don't have enough guys who shoot it with that. But for this game, at least, I thought it was very interesting to see Jonte Porter getting some of the... Uh, he actually started at the five in the absence of Pirtle. And obviously, they moved Precious Achua a couple so, of weeks ago as well. So he, he's not just negotiating jersey number buyouts. He's also playing an important role in the Raptor. Yeah, what did he... He got 10 grand for number 11? Yes, I believe it was 10 from, grand. From Bruce Brown? Yeah. Yeah, and Brown did not play in this one. You know, he, He'll slot in as another rotation piece for them and, of course, possible trade piece. But it was interesting to see these guys with, like, an actual stretch five. And I thought Porter actually looked pretty decent switching at times also. Like, he has definitely gotten himself in much better shape than early in his career when he was a little pudgy and also really had the multiple torn ACLs and really kind of struggled to launch his career. And now they're bringing good friend Thad Young off the bench at backup center. That's uh, been fascinating to watch. Grady Dick actually got some time as well. Gary Trent busted out of his seemingly season-long slump with eight of nine from downtown. In this game, I thought that quickly was awesome, really trying to push the pace early. He and Barrett did a great job uh, of that. Uh, I thought that Scotty Barnes was pretty under control and again with just the middle so open against the heat defense it's just really surprising to see that against the heat defense he's able to dime up cutters he found barrett for an easy layup out of the post at one point so this is just a really nice win for the raptors you know they shot it so well it's hard to have a ton more big takeaways and you know we didn't see bruce braun with this group either necessarily but i continue to be relatively optimistic uh, on them of course they lost the bulls on the second night of a back-to-back after that uh, have we given the we gave their overall stats already right for the wraps yes yes at 16 and 27 yeah so they're I still expect them to kind of hang around a, a little bit. And I hope that you will hang around using our free month. First time we are ever doing this in the history of Dunked On Prime. If you're on the public pod, absolutely risk-free. Sign up. If you don't like it, cancel before the first month is over and you will not pay a dime. But I think you're going to find it worth it because we're going to have the mock-off season, the entire thing available on Dunked On Prime. We only usually do the first part of it on the public pod. Of course, you'll get every Hollinger and Duncan episode as well. And of course, you will also get every episode with me and Danny. You get Seth Partnow's writing, you get Dan Feldman's writing, and uh, we appreciate you giving us a, a try here with this small business. We'll talk to you all tomorrow on Dunktown Prime. Till then. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, 
We'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.